This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching our message. How y'all doing? Hey, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room, especially my dad back there. Hey, dad. Uh, Just wanted to say that. Uh, Hey, uh, just so I don't forget to say this, I I probably won't actually. There's a reason I won't, but uh, it has become uh, customary for us to uh, give dads a gift on their way out. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but know that there will be something if you see uh, some gentlemen handing some things out at the end of service, make sure, dads, that you get what we're giving away. But I'll talk about that a little bit later. Before I ask our friends to come down with the offering bags, I wanted to take a moment. Uh, some exciting things are happening this week. Uh, our, our little ones, our, our elementary age kids and their families, are going to be VBSing this week. They're going to be going to Athens. And we're really excited about VBS this week. Um, because we get an opportunity to share the faith not only with kids but with the whole family that will be attending this week. But not only that, our middle schoolers are going to be junior high camping this week. And so we've got a lot going on. It's a big week for our families and our church. And so before we invite our friends to come down with offering, I wanted to take a moment for us to just stop and pray uh, that uh, things will just uh, not only go smoothly, but people will be impacted this week uh, through those efforts. So if you don't mind taking a moment to pray with me, let's do that. Uh, God, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to worship you each and every Sunday. And I just pray uh, specifically right now, God, that you will be with our families and our uh, younger folks that will be attending either VBS or the junior high camp that we have going on all week. I pray, God, that uh, they will be impacted for you and that um, they will come to know you uh, more and know you more deeply um, in their lives as a result of um, the work that you're doing uh, through this church in those efforts. And uh, we love you, and it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, each week we we take up an offering. Uh, We ask you to fill out those response cards with your name. Let us know we can pray for you. We ask you to give each week. And, you know, it's, it's things like VBS and it's things like junior high camp that when we give uh, back to God what he's blessed us with, we have an opportunity to impact by what we give into those ministry areas and beyond. So I'm going to ask our friends to come down, and they're going to begin passing the offering bags around. And you can put your offering and your response cards in there. <clears throat> So last, last, like, late summer, early fall, I don't really remember dates all that well. It's been a while since I've been to the beach, but we get to go to the beach, and it was fun. We were with our friends Aaron and Elise, and uh, something cool that I always, like, enjoy having happen uh, occurred when we were getting ready to go to a restaurant. We were going to a place called Max's Table. Thanks for the recommendation there, Um <laughs> We were, going, we were at a place called Max's Table, and it's like one of those like breakfast lunch places. And every, every time like I'm packing clothes for a vacation, uh, Angie will, will stop me and say, oh, do, you, do you really need to bring your Bengals or Reds t-shirt? And I'm like, absolutely I do. We're going out of the state, and I'm going to show my Cincinnati pride to all who will be forced to see it on my chest. 
But, but one of the cool things that happens, I, I think it's cool, it, it's probably not that cool, but uh, when, when you're out and about at another location, for some reason, if you run into somebody that is a fan of the same sports team you are, like because they're from the same area as you, suddenly it's cool. Like if, you, if, if we're all wearing like a red shirt today, like no one will think anything, we're all in Cincinnati, right? But if I'm down in Florida and I run into a fellow Reds or Bengals fan, I'm amazed. It's awesome. So this happened. So I was, so we were in this, this restaurant called Max's Table and we're walking in and I've got a Bengals shirt on. And I don't even make it like halfway through the door before I hear a shout, Hootay! I look over and next thing I know, I see someone sitting at a table eating and they've got their Bengal shirt on. And that struck up a conversation. It's really weird because I don't know those people from anybody else, but they're just shouting that, that little phrase makes me feel like we've been long lost friends or family that we haven't seen in a while. And we can strike up a conversation. Now the conversation normally devolves into how bad the team is, but that's beside the point. <laughs> it's still nice to see some friendly faces that share a common affinity. You know, it's funny because I, I don't think we, get, we, we give too much thought to what brings us together in life, but common affinities are the biggest thing that brings us together in life. If you're a fan of the same sports team, we're likely to hang out and go watch the game together and strike up a friendship. If, guys, if you are into hunting and fishing, trust me, you are going hunting and fishing with all your hunting and fishing buddies. And that's what causes your friendships to happen. If you're like me and you're an artsy guy, and a music fan, which I am a music fan, I like to listen and play music, you're gonna hang around a bunch of other music fans and go do things. It's these common affinities that bring us together. The story of my coming to this church happened because of a common affinity. I was in my latter middle school years and my friend Dan spotted me in class and I was wearing a shirt with the name Stone Temple Pilots on it. It was a band from the 90s that I still like. Rest in peace, Scott Weiler. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, all the 90s guys are. Anyway, um, but no, my friend, my friend saw the shirt, and he comes up to me. We had never met before, and he comes up to me, and he says, hey, you know what? I think you and I are the only two people in this entire school that like that band. And we struck up a friendship. And, and it was through that, not only that I, that I developed some uh, friendships with people that I would play music with, but eventually, he ended up bringing me to this church, this youth group, and that's how I ended up coming to faith. And it was that common affinity that we shared. So common affinities can do wonders in terms of bringing people together. But the, the truth is, is that common affinities can also be great dividers. Sure, if you share the same love and passion for something that somebody else does, it will unite you. But what unites you together can also be the division between people that don't share the same affinities. Especially in our modern climate that seems so divisive. 
You don't, it doesn't matter what political party you're a part of. You know that you can strike up a conversation with anyone in your camp and be best of friends, but the moment you see someone from the other aisle, that's your bitter enemy. Because common affinities can unite and they can divide us. We know this kind of thing to be true. And as we continue on in our series uh, called Deep, and we continue on through this letter that we call Ephesians, which is, again, as I said last week, it's, it's actually a chain letter that went to several churches from Paul. We're going to be talking about this idea of affinities uniting and dividing us. So I want to set the scene, because we're going to look at two uh, smaller passages in chapter 2 and 3, but I want to set it up by uh, talking about a passage that we're not going to read through together. Last week, we went through verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, and when you read on in verses 11 through 18, Paul is talking directly to the Ephesian Christians uh, and dealing with a confidence matter. And it's, it's really interesting, Didi, Didi likes to say, I think he even said this back in week one, that the big issue for the Ephesian Christians was their lack of confidence. But if that's the case, we want to find, well, what is their lack in confidence? Well, here's what we find out. In the first century church, the biggest divisive issue of the day between Christians was that people that converted to Christianity from Judaism still believed in practicing the Jewish rites and rituals and religious customs that made them Jewish, which is understandable. But the issue was is that when the Gentiles would be brought into the fold, those Jewish Christians thought that those Gentile Christians, which are just the Gentiles, that, that name is what is considered a non-Jew in, in, the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. A non-Jewish person is a Gentile. Those Gentiles effectively were expected to adopt the Jewish customs as a part of the expression of their Christian faith. And this led to some division. It led to some division, first of all, because there was a particular marker for Jewish people that the Gentiles didn't have. And since I'm about to have a boy, I'll just come right out and say it. That marker is circumcision. You guys want to have a conversation about that this morning? Because it's there. I won't get into the, the details there, but I'm just going to assume you know what that is. And we'll move on. But that was the issue. Jewish boys were circumcised. Gentile boys were not. And this created a divisive issue because in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, Abraham and onward are commanded to circumcise on what? The eighth day. Their sons. And so, if you were a Gentile Christian and you were trying to unite with Jewish Christians that was becoming a challenge because Gentiles didn't have the mark. They didn't share the affinity for the rite of circumcision with their fellow Jewish Christians, and this created division between the circumcised camp and the non-circumcision Christians. And the Gentiles felt like lesser people of faith because of this divisive issue. But in Paul's teaching, Paul says, it is by Jesus and Jesus alone that you are brought into the fold of faith. 
But I always like to tell people, if Paul's writing a letter to a church, he's writing because whatever it is he's trying to bring in as a solution is speaking directly into the problem of the church. So you know if he's trying to say, trying to bring confidence that you only need Christ alone to be considered part of the in crowd, you better believe the Ephesians weren't on the same page. In fact, they not only probably were discouraged by their faith, they probably were backsliding away from their faith because they thought, well, if we can't be the real deal, if we're missing out, then what are we even doing here? We'll just go back to our old ways. And so Paul has to speak into that. And so I want to I want to start this morning uh, in Ephesians two nineteen through twenty two, and and look at what Paul says in terms of a summary statement, uh, bringing in the solution, bringing in the hope for these Gentile Christians to whom he's writing to. He says, starting at verse nineteen, consequently. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and arises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, as I said last week, Ephesians, when you read through this whole thing, you can gloss over a lot of stuff because Paul brings in a lot of deep ideas here. So again, let's slow down here and look at what he is saying here. He starts out by reminding the Ephesian Christians that they are no longer foreigners and strangers. Earlier, he actually says that they are. And, and that, that's actually interesting. He doesn't brush aside this issue of circumcision and say, oh, well, yeah, don't listen. You guys, you guys have been fine from the get-go. He actually says formally and in fact, until Jesus, you were foreigners. You were separate from God's people and you were separate from God. You were Gentiles. But it isn't because he tells them to go be circumcised or gives them some other rule or ritual to follow that brings them into the fold of the people of God. Instead, they are no longer foreigners, they are no longer strangers, but fellow citizens because of Jesus. And he, he says this because he says that they're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now he's gonna go into a temple analogy here which might surprise us why he's using a temple analogy, but I'll get to that. First of all, he says the foundation of the apostles. So at the time of Paul's, Paul's writing part of the New Testament when he writes this, so they didn't have New Testaments, but they did have the teaching of the apostles, which is what we have in the New Testament. And so the foundations built upon the teaching of the apostles. He also mentions the prophets, because the scripture for Christians, even Gentile Christians in that time, was the Hebrew Bible or what we call the Old Testament today. He's referring to the prophets of old. That foundation, because the prophets speak of Jesus. And then he says, Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. 
He is the chief cornerstone for the foundation that is being built. You do not have a foundation without Jesus. And nothing else can replace him as a foundation. And so they're being built on this foundation. And then Paul adds, he says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, this is interesting that Paul would do this. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul's actually writing to both a Jewish and Gentile audience. But in his letter to the Ephesians and the churches in the area he's writing to, he's likely writing to nothing but Gentiles. So why do we think he would use a temple analogy? Well, yes, of course, at the time, Paul's writing, the second temple still existed. It had not been destroyed by the Romans yet. So he could have been speaking about that, but a Gentile won't care about the temple. But here's the thing, though. The, the pagan Gentile religions of the time also worshiped their gods and deities and temples. But he is actually saying that a new temple is being built. Not the second temple that exists in Jerusalem. And not a pagan temple to worship in. A new temple. A holy temple. And what is that temple consisting of? Well, he says, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, this is fascinating because Paul's not talking about a structure. The temple that's being built is a people, God's people. Those that put their faith in Jesus make up the new temple. And if you remember last week, when he says you, he's not just talking individually, he's saying y'all. The body of Jesus, the people of faith, make up this temple in which God and his spirit will reside in. So he is taking these Gentiles who feel as if they are on the outs. They are not part of the in crowd because they're missing the mark. The very physical and in weird ways visible mark. And yet Paul says, you're not missing the mark at all because you've put your faith in Jesus. He's igniting their confidence. But here's the awesome thing about what Paul does here. Paul doesn't just end by giving them this hope message. Paul will end up ending chapter three with a prayer. And chapter three is interesting because the very first verse of chapter three, Paul starts to go into the prayer and he stops himself. And then he starts to talk about his own faith experience. And he talks about the grace that God has given him and how God put him on assignment to bring the gospel to the Gentile people. So he gives this pause before he's start starting to pray and reminds them that it's his calling to bring them the faith message. And then after he does that, he comes back in verse 14, and then he decides to actually write this prayer out for them. And I want you to hear what he says in the prayer, because it's going to take us to the end of our discussion today. It starts in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within, uh, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, Paul reminds them why they should have hope and confidence. Because he says, you may feel like you are outside, but you are definitely in because of your faith in Jesus. But Paul doesn't just want the Ephesian Christians to just be in. He doesn't want them standing in the lobby. He wants them to go deep. That is his prayer. His prayer is for every believer, and specifically the believers in the Ephesian church, to have a faith that reaches the deepest of depths. Why? So that they can stay united together based off of that one common faith and so that they can be a light, so that they can be bold. He wants them to know this love that is wide and long and high and deep. Hello? I'm just kidding. Sorry. I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I see if I if I actually interject, I could have just passed it up and I didn't anyway. Yes, yeah, so Paul Paul is Paul is wanting a faith to go to go deep. And and here's Here's, the, here's, here's what I want us to get from this passage today. And it's something important that's going to take us to end here. And that is that being anchored in Christ anchors us together. So I open up today talking about affinities and their ability to unite and their ability to divide. But the reason that those affinities are capable of uniting and dividing is because they are lesser affinities. There is a higher affinity to unite under, and only one, and that's Jesus. Jesus should be the one that brings people of faith together. Not something as trivial as our hobbies, not something maybe more serious as our political persuasions, not even whether or not we've figured out all of the correct uh, moral practices and things. Now, I'm not denying that those things are important, but I want you to catch something else here. If it's the case that the marker of circumcision is not what brings the Ephesians into the fold, then there is no other thing, no other moral, no other to-do that can bring us into the body of Christ than Christ alone. 
And as I said last week, there is nothing that can change us and transform us other than Christ alone. See, the message for Paul is he doesn't just want the Gentiles to know that they're in. He wants them in. If the, if the Jewish people were being written to as he does in Romans, he'd have a message like that for them too because he wants the Jewish and Gentile Christians together. Christians united under what? Under the foundation of Jesus because it is that foundation that the entire body is built on. And I often, I like to imagine what would it be like? What would it be like in our church, in our community, in our world if Christians dropped the lesser affinities and instead exalted and went in deep with the higher affinity that is Jesus and it was he and he alone that brought us together. Imagine the life change. Imagine the bond that would be formed if that happened. But I want us to I want us to end with something more practical because you know like you know what you know what I hate about like like our modern like social media stuff. You know, if you were alive back when you can only write a letter and a message in a bottle, you probably wouldn't know all the world's problems. I mean, you'd eventually find them out, but right now they're 24/7 in our face. It feels like there's nothing we can do to change the world, and yet we feel like we have to change the world all by ourselves, except if you remember from last week, you, you can't. <laughs> but you can be open to God, and in doing so, you can invite the God of change into the here and now, right where you reside. So I wanted, you know, today is Father's Day, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about uh, the, the dad thing because I got a kid that's like le- literally three and a half weeks away. Oh, my gosh. And I, I want to I speak, speak to the men in the room, the dads in the room, although I want to qualify something. If you're not a dad, if you're not a parent, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you're called to be a spiritual parent. So please don't tune this out, even though I'm going to issue a challenge to the dads in the room. So I I have heard for a long, long time, okay, I did this project in college once where I had to go interview some some folks. I'm not really sure why I was supposed to be interviewing them. I mean, this was back in like my freshman or sophomore year, so you'll have to forgive me on the details. Somehow I managed to make my way into Eastgate Mall interviewing some folks that were working at different, like, stores. And I happened to run into, like, this electronics shop. It's not there anymore. Um, Actually, it could be. I don't know. I don't really go there. Anyway, um, uh, but I was there for this occasion. And I'm talking to this guy, and we had to interview people about faith and why they do or don't go to church. And I, I asked him, I said, hey, are, are you a person of faith or are you, are you a person that goes to church? And he goes, uh, no, I'm, I'm actually an atheist. Like, I, don't, I don't believe any of that stuff. But then he said something that surprised me. He said, but I do go to church. He said, I've got kids. And I want them to learn the morals and teachings so that they'll be better people than I am. You don't have to be an atheist to say that. Anybody in the room ever said, I hope my kid turns out 
better than me. My kid's not even born, and I've said it about three times to friends and family. But here's, here's the thing. Being anchored in Christ anchors us together, right? Notice that we didn't start with anchored together. See, I know I, I harped about the y'all thing and Paul's always writing to the community and not the individual, but we're gonna bring it down to the individual level. Men, if you want your family to be anchored in the faith, you and I must drop our anchors down first. We must put our anchors down first. You can't expect somebody else to go where you won't go. And that doesn't just mean uh, in your friendships or in your uh, work situations, that starts right at home, right in the family. And so, we have something that we're going to be giving away today. It's not a box. There's a pen in here. It's a nifty pen. It's got one of those little stylus things where you can write on an iPad or some other tablet. It's got an ink thing. It's even got a highlighter. But more importantly than what it can do is what it says. See, I don't, we don't like issuing a challenge without giving you a reminder to walk around with the challenge. And the challenge is on the pen. And it says a father anchors his family in faith. The challenge to the men in the room, to the dads in the room, is if you want to take up, if you want to live out the prayer that Paul has for every person of faith, if you want to see the world changed by Jesus, then men, I encourage you and I encourage myself to drop your anchor in first. And so our hope is that when you walk out of this room, dads, that you will take one of these gifts by one of the gentlemen that will be handing these out to you. And that anytime you see it laying on your desk, in your pocket, or you take it out to write, that you will remember that a father anchors his family in faith. Because being anchored in Christ is ultimately what anchors us together. I wish I had known and been wise enough when I was a college student to tell that dad in that conversation that same thing. Heck, I wish that I had been wise enough my whole life to know that. Because I'm one of those people that really loves to try to fix people. And I've had to learn the hard way that you can't. It has to start with my openness to Jesus and my openness to Paul's prayer becoming a reality in my life that I will go to the deepest of depths in my faith with Jesus. And I want to challenge you to do the same. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for being so good and so gracious to us. We thank you for uh, the message of Paul. We thank you for the message of hope that it is in Jesus that we are in with you and that we are in with each other. 
I thank you for the confidence building that that hope brings. And God, I thank you for the challenge of your word uh, that I, that it should start with me to put my anchor down first, to be open to you first. And God, I pray that we in this room, especially the dad since it's Father's Day, will take up that challenge to put our anchors in you so that we can bring one another together in faith. We love you and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.